Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Millennial Manhood. This is another Money Talks episode, and this week I've got Brendan Donaldson with me. He is a local mortgage professional here in town, runs a shop here, very knowledgeable. One of the more interesting people you'll listen to from several different angles. He's a he's a quirky guy, so he can go down a lot of different rabbit holes, but the rabbit holes tend to be really just fascinating. And he's a wealth of knowledge, especially in the mortgage world, especially in the planning world when it comes to how do you even go about getting a mortgage? What are the best type of programs for you? How to creatively think? Um, and how to build out a rental portfolio and utilize previous properties for the next property to build out wealth outside of the market, outside of traditional means of building wealth. We also talked about other topics such as why does Donald Trump owe you know, 300 and something million dollars to Deutsche Bank and what does that actually mean? As well as why does my lighting suck so badly for the podcast on the video side? So if you're curious, keep listening. It's a good episode. As always, if you even think this is remotely good, give us a five star on iTunes. It's really, really appreciated. It helps a ton. Check us out on Instagram, Manhood Pod. Find me on LinkedIn. You can find Millennial Manhood on LinkedIn. Share us on social media and share us with your friends. And with that said, here's the episode. Welcome to Money Talks. Got Thank Brendan you. Donaldson with me here. Uh, Brendan, you're an interesting guy. Very interesting guy. I mean, that is a compliment. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> that can be taken all kinds of different ways. Whenever I get called interesting, I'm like, okay, this is either really a, a, an insult or you actually like me. But but tell the folks who you are. So so today we're, we're talking about mortgages. We're talking about financing. We're talking about behavioral money, all these different things, obviously part of money talks. But, but tell the people who is Brendan. Uh, who is Brendan? There's a book back here called uh, How the World Sees You mm -hmm. by Sally's Hog Sally Hogshead. You ever heard of her? Okay. I have not. So she does all these personality types and innovation and passion are my two big drivers. So that character type is called the rock star and the rock star can really turn people off or turn people on. Yeah. <laughs> so Yavin, so you might be in uh, how the world sees you. Uh, you might want to take the little test. It's pretty cool. You're probably somewhere close to me. You're, you're okay. innovative, you're passionate. So those are, those are things that drive me. Uh, Basically, moved to Nashville in 99, uh, grew up in Virginia, um, was put into the mortgage business after I quit working on Wall Street. And I was working at a commodities exchange firm or commodities trading firm in the World Trade Center after college. Mm. And I did that for a little over a whopping six months, hated it, but learned a ton about like Wall Street. I really wanted to get on like a a big firm's desk, but they were they were downsizing at the time. So I drove back. I like one day just was on the subway, went up the elevator of the World Trade Center, got to like the 82nd floor of the building. It was 5 a.m. I mean, true story. Like I'm sitting there reading like um, uh, the power of positive thinking. Like I've got quotes that I'm just like reading on the subway over and over and over. Um, to just program my mind, like I'm gonna get out of this hellhole soon, <laughs> and uh, get out of this hellhole soon. Yeah, it was definitely that, and uh, so I quit. I remember calling my boss from a payphone back when those existed, and told him I said, Noah, I'm not coming back. Appreciate your chance to let me work there. I thought I had another job lined up. I didn't get it, so I drove back to D.C. I I moved in 
with my girlfriend who then proceeded to dump me soon thereafter and I moved back with my parents. Oh my God, it was awful. You know, and my wait, buddy- wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me your girlfriend did not like being dating a guy who didn't have a place to live? <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're saying? Thank God. Thank God she dumped me. Uh, so, so it turns out my cousin was in the mortgage business. I didn't, true story, I had a history degree and like a minor in French and business uh, from a pretty good school that I studied and worked hard, played soccer in college. And uh, he said, hey man, I'm in the mortgage business. I was like, what's a mortgage? He's like, it's a, 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 it's a loan on a house. It's called a mortgage, bro. I'm like, oh, how do you spell that? He's like, well, there's a T in there, M-O-R-T-G-A-G-E. I was like, okay, cool. So he trained me um, and my, my training really starting in like late 94, was truly grab a rate sheet. So if you think about how you started as a financial planner, you know, you're, you're making cold calls, you're trying to network through friends and family. In my mm -hmm. world, um, my cousin was like, hey, this is what you do. You pick out five real estate offices, you call the broker, you introduce yourself, and you tell him or her you're coming by the office on Mondays and Fridays to drop off rate sheets. And you're going to network with the agents. So that's what I did. I had about 15 offices. I would drive my car, print a huge stack, like literally 250, an entire ream of paper, rate sheets, and would go and deliver them to offices. And, and if you walked in, Yavita, and you were a realtor, and I made eye contact with you, I was like, uh, do you remember uh, Groundhog's Day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ned Ryerson? The uh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ned's Would you like guy. to buy some life insurance? Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The life insurance guy, right? Yeah, the life insurance guy. And he's like, Ned? And, you know, he's like, Ned Ryerson, boom. You know, like I would walk over and then the realtors' cell phones were starting to get invented. They were this big. They were like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm busy, dude. No, you know, like run away. So, you know, you, you get used to rejection very quickly. The business was getting referrals from realtors. That's mm -hmm. what the mortgage business was to me. It wasn't like call financial advisors, network with CPAs. Um, there was no real companies back then that were doing direct marketing like Quicken, you know, push button, get loan. I mean, I don't know if you're like watching ESPN on Saturday these days, but dude, there's like 9 million mortgage commercials and, you know, Zillow. Uh, just yeah. all these instant ways to get like push a button. Um, and I'm sure it's the same in the financial world. I just, I kind of tune into the mortgage part. So flash forward, had my five years in DC, Virginia, met my, my current wife, my only wife. Uh, <laughs> we met and we, we both didn't like the rat race in the DC area. She yeah. was teaching figure skating competitively. And like, we actually bought a house together in Alexandria, Old Town. And then we mm -hmm. decided, like we looked at each other and we were like, hey, we hate this area. So my family roots, my name Donaldson, Donaldson, Tennessee, goes all the way back to Andrew Jackson married Rachel Donaldson. She was one of 10 children of Captain John. Uh, my dad was John Donaldson the eighth. Um, wow. So, you know, and we still own a family uh, farm called Cleveland Hall which is about a mile and a half past the Hermitage on Old Hickory Boulevard, 
It's on the left side. And Cleveland Hall was built in 1830, 1830, 1829, 1830. Um, four presidents have slept in that house, and uh, our family still owns it. Wow. So I'm here. Cool little trivia. Yeah. So I'm here. You know, I run a small mortgage company with three sales guys, me included. I have three support staff. Um, and we essentially stay focused on residential financing, whether it's a purchase loan, a refinance, or a construction loan. Interesting. All right. So let, that, there's a lot to unpack there. So one, elaborate on the statement you said, I got to get out of this hellhole. What did you mean by this hellhole? Oh, um, I think that the D.C. market, like I grew up there. Washington, D.C. is a very transient area. Um, you could be neighbors with someone for 10 years and never know them. Mm. Um, and my wife went to college in Texas. I went to college in Georgia. We had gone to a couple weddings in Dallas and one in Nashville. And when we visited, we noticed just like the difference of people, like just all the way down to like the, the, the teller at Walgreens, like would say, hi, Javitsa, hi, you know, how are you? Those are nice glasses. You know, like they, they were human beings, right? They would take notice of things. And so it, it's kind of a, I think people experience this in living in like Hawaii. They call it island fever. I think mm -hmm. in the Washington DC market, there's something called the Beltway, I-495. It's 64 miles around. And when you're living in the Beltway or inside the Beltway, there's this energy in that market that is completely unique in the world. Obviously, you've got the you know most important city in the world there, and it's just it, it kind of lends itself to some bland uh, interaction. I mean, this is just such a broad stroke. I mean, I, I'm sounding so yeah. judgmental, but <laughs> but here's the truth: when we moved here, people thought we were nuts, and a couple years in, I'd be like, dude. Yeah, I, I never looked back. And my, my sister and my mom still live up there, and I have friends up there. And don't get me wrong, I love going into Georgetown and visiting Washington, D.C., just like I love going to New York City. But I will tell you this, the more I'm here and the more I see people, hundreds who have moved here, maybe thousands that I've talked to from all different markets, West Coast, Chicago, the Northeast, D.C., somewhere, they all say the same thing. Like I came here, I kind of fell in love with this little town that's growing and people are friendlier. Like I, I had a conversation in the airport with some guy I didn't even know and then he stayed in touch with me. You know, it, just like this collection of energy and it gets back to like, you know, what makes Wrigley Field better than, you know, Camden Yards? You know, what, what makes one organization so well run in the NFL and another one so shittily run? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, why were the Patriots such a great team for so long and the San Diego Chargers couldn't even, wouldn't even care to make the playoffs? Yeah. They're both owned by billionaires, right? So there's a difference. And what's that difference? So I think that was the hellhole of DC was this lack of a connection and then this lack of like, maybe my wife, you know, she she had more foresight than me. She just felt like, God, we can't really raise a family here. I don't even know where they'd go to school. And we got we to gotta hit the reset button. So we were either yeah. 
um, Dallas-Fort Worth or Nashville, and we picked Nashville because my family was more based here, like relatives and things, and I'm really glad we did. I, I think we would have worked out fine if we moved to Dallas-Fort Worth as well, but, you know, it's all good. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, um, so let me, so let's get to the topic of, of the mortgage world. You know, when, when people think again, the mortgage, when people think again, the loan, when people think of, I don't think most people actually understand how much work there is involved to get approved for a mortgage, especially God forbid you don't have a W2 job. Uh, you're, you're going down all kinds of rabbit holes at that point, but walk me through like, we can we can go down we can start with some more simple things like first time home buyers and then get maybe a little bit more complex on investment properties etc but let's say you have a 30 year old husband wife little kid dog they come to you and say Brendan we want to buy our first house we we've outgrown our apartment you know we've paid we, maybe we've paid off student loans or we've gotten a promotion or whatever it is what does that process look like what what would you caution people about what do you wish people knew like just lay it at me okay well let's just start with your example I mean, it's okay. So think of it this way just like your experience in financial planning, for people to understand something, the person explaining it has to be a good teacher. Mm-hmm. Number one, they have to recognize the student, right? So I always tell people this. So, Yavitsa, you're 30. Um, getting a mortgage is really simple. We look at your credit. We look at your income on paper, and we look at your assets. Credit, income, assets. How is your credit, Yavitsa? Role play with me. It, my FICO score on my Discover said it's a 710. Okay, so you have decent credit. How, what is your wife's credit like? 820. Great. So what we'll do very shortly, maybe today, is I'll get your social security number, and I'll pull your actual residential mortgage credit report. Ooh, elaborate on that because people don't know there's different types of scores. Okay. Well, the credit scoring industry in 30 seconds or less started in the late 80s. Fannie Mae went to a company called uh, Fair and Isaac with banking, and they said, we don't want underwriters to look at credit reports that don't have scores anymore and that just have lates or paid on time. So what we want is a scoring model based on risk. Fair Isaac created it. They created it for the mortgage industry. It started in the early 90s, and then at about 1995, 96, FICO was approached by the car industry, so they created a FICO model for cars. Then very quickly thereafter, it was approached by the retail industry because they could see default based on scoring. So you have all different levels of FICO models. So when someone says, my credit score is this, like you just did in the role play, I say, Yavitsa, how do you know what your credit score is? Are you getting this from your Wells Fargo bank statement? Are you? Did you go to freecreditreports.com? Where did you get this? And you're like, oh, I'm on some service, mm-hmm. right? Answer num- uh, immediate response to, from me. Hey, that's great. That is a credit score, but that is not a mortgage credit score. That is probably a consumer score. When we pull your scores, if there's any variance, I'll be able to show you why. Mm. Great. So credit, we'll get your credit pretty quickly. What it'll do, Yavitsa, it'll show me what your minimum obligations are on your report. So then when I look at the second thing, your income, we can calculate your income to debt or debt to income ratio. 
So, pretty simple. If you make 50, and let's say your your wife makes 70, okay. and you make 120,000 a year together, we simply on a W2 form take that, divide it by 12, and you'd make $10,000 a month. Mm -hmm. Make sense? Yep. You'd be an easy, hey, pull credit, look at income. Now, last piece, assets, and then we run this calculation with this recipe. Normally, what I tell people is Fannie Mae, once your income is calculated on a monthly basis, Fannie, if you take 45% of that income, now, got to remember, income is taxable income. Mm -hmm. It's not, hey, I work as a server at a bar downtown and I'm shoving seven grand a month in my pocket in cash. Yeah. Not taxable income. So taxable income, and that therein lies the what I think is the biggest issue when you got back to your initial question, hey, walk us through what to do, what not to do, kind of teach us something. The number one problem in the mortgage industry is the miscalculation of income at the loan officer level and the processor level when the when the situation starts before it gets to the underwriter correct yep it's a miscalculation of income yep and what it what it is is just simply lack of knowledge lack of training lack of awareness well you have these call center farms basically with a lot of these large companies where you know people are just churning through things and they're just they're just looking at quantity and um yeah, and and yeah. yeah they don't know how to calculate it well yeah and as somebody who for my entire career was 1099 when i went and got my first mortgage i mean you want to talk about just the incompetence of the original people i was dealing with i was like man this is not rocket science guys it really isn't yeah and think about it if you had been explained Hey, Yavit, so your 1099 is your gross number. Mm -hmm. Now that's going to translate over to a Schedule C. Mm -hmm. You're going to have a title and then you have all these expenses. Mm -hmm. After the expenses, some of the expenses like depreciation and a couple other items like mileage, we can essentially add back to your income. But in this section, these are all negatives, right? Mm -hmm. So here's your top line on your Schedule C. Here's the middle section of two columns of expenses. Here's this bottom number over here that says total net income. So it's the 100,000 minus the 40, it's 60. Most people when they walk in with a 1099 go, "Hey, here's my 1099. I make 100 grand." It's like, "No you don't. You make 60." Cuz yeah. you're paid 100 grand top line, you have 40,000 in expenses, and we can add back depreciation and mileage and some other things. Your net income was 62. Yeah. And the problem is, well, Brendan, I kind of made up some of those expenses so I didn't have to pay taxes because when I went to my accountant, you know, you know, I, I kind of threw everything, uh, you know, all the expenses in to, to pay less in taxes. There it is. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's just as simple as, all right, well, those were expenses. It wasn't income. So now, how do self-employed people win or 1099 or commission people win? The answer is, you know, education you, you you can't you can't necessarily you know cheat the system pay less in taxes and then all of a sudden expect the banking world 
to go, oh, we totally get that. Everybody does that. So we're just going to count more. Instead of counting 62, we're really going to count 72. Yeah, yeah. Does it make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And, so and if you had been told that up front by a knowledgeable lender who was your lender, then you, you, your expectations would have been lowered. Yeah, and there, I mean, there, which on my end, everything turned out fine once things got clarified. But um, right. I mean, basically, at the end of the day, you know, there is a lack of education amongst consumers, which is part of why we're doing this podcast. You know, so yeah. okay, let's let's keep going. So you 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 pull their credit, first time home buyer. So they're probably looking at either a conventional or FHA mortgage. Correct. Typically, unless they're former military, then there's the the VA loan. The VA loan. So explain the difference between all those loans for folks. Anybody can get an FHA loan or a conventional loan with a validated credit score and um, you know proper income documentation. A VA loan is only for veterans or former military who have a, a DD-214, they, they, they can show that they're eligible. Mm -hmm. uh, you check their eligibility in the VA system. A VA loan goes 100% with no, no MI. Um, there's not a big reason to talk about that on this call other than I would say this, a lot of veterans that I've helped, um, they'll use their VA they might keep the VA and turn that property into a rental property and then do a conventional loan later. Mm. Um, you know, there's not that many, there's all these VA guru teachers online and it's like, I don't know, there's like four or five buttons to really know. You know, a VA <laughs> loan has what's called uh, upfront, uh, like the, the VA funding fee, excuse mm -hmm. me. And so that goes on top of the loan. That's kind of how VA stays in existence because they're not charging private mortgage insurance. And you know, if a loan goes bad, technically our government's covering it. I mean, imagine you, you the veteran goes buys a $250,000 house somewhere. He puts nothing down. He finances 259 or 260, call it, with the funding fee. And then 2 years later his balance is at 251 and he can't make the payment and forecloses there's the the bank's losing you know that yeah, house yeah. if someone's foreclosing the house is in bad condition it it sells at 200 at the auction block and the bank and va lose sixty thousand dollars on that one loan mm -hmm. so that's why they charge those funding fees to stay in existence i think the va loses money every year it's a government program i mean we should do things for our veterans and active military don't get me wrong here yeah. It's just, it's a program that only should be talked about if that's the situation. Now you get to FHA, primarily first time home buyer, or credit that doesn't qualify for conventional loans. FHA is 3.5% down. Uh, and then conventional loans. Normally you got slightly uh, like a 660 credit score or better. The uh, FHA would be like 660 down to 600. And FHA sometimes can be a better program than conventional. Kind of like when you're talking about financial planning, there's mm -hmm. some rare fits where an FHA loan absolutely is the loan. Uh, I could think of it like for a duplex. If someone wanted to buy a duplex, live in one side and use the rent on the other side to help them qualify, you can do that with an FHA loan. You can't do that with a conventional loan. So that would be an example of like, hey, FHA is going to be the loan for you, Yavitsa. You want to buy this $300,000 duplex. 
you know, the other side rents for fifteen hundred, and and you're making fifty grand. And you, remember, in your credit and your income and your assets, your debt to income percentage is too low. But if on this duplex we can use the fifteen hundred dollars, then you qualify. So we've had scenarios like that where people have used an FHA loan. So last how, but not how, least, go ahead. But how would that work? So if you don't have the duplex yet, you don't have a renter yet, are they just going on good faith that, hey, you're going to rent this place out and what market value is? Good question. As soon as I lob out kind of a complicated situation, you're like asking more questions about it. I love it. Um, you know, that would be one where there's an existing lease mm. or when, let's say it was empty, the appraiser appraises the duplex and then does a rent schedule appraisal and says, hey, this can rent for 1500 It starts to get a little, great question, you know, like, or great analysis. A duplex for a first-time home buyer that can barely afford it on their own or not and needs that rental income to offset, that's a risky-ass loan. Yep. You know, that's the kind of loan where I'm like, on the front end, I'm looking at that client, pretend you referred them, and I'd say, Yavitsa, your friends, John and Jane Doe, they're really going for it. I love their energy, but man, they don't have any reserves. If they don't pick up that rent, they're, they're, out, they're SOL, yeah. you know? And, and nobody wants to, we are paid on the performance of the loan for the first year. Oh, so wow. just, yeah. So if the loan goes into default, we, we're, we're not paid. We're, there's, it, there's a huge expense. money. Yep. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a performance-based relationship in the first nine to 12 months. And I'm not saying that like the average loan officer at Quicken Loans even gives a rat, but I'm paid that way and I train my loan officers and a lot of the people that I know in the industry work at work in a similar comp situation. So similar to like, you know, in the insurance world, if the client doesn't, you know, execute their part of the contract. Yeah, you got a chargeback. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Even if the loan is sold? Yep. Wow. If it doesn't perform, if if it early payment default uh, or early payoff, EPO or EPD, you're out. You're refunding your commission and the bank's paying penalties on the EPO and the EPD. It's a big loss. Interesting. Okay, sorry. So I cut you off when I asked about the duplex. You, you were going... Well, I was just somewhere. saying that, so we, we were finishing with FHA conventional. We started with VA. Yeah. The only thing outside of that would be jumbo loans over 550 and then construction loans. But there is no loan in, in the mortgage lending world, or if you're at a bank and you're talking to their mortgage division about residential financing, four units, three units, two units, one unit, condo, single family, that's all residential financing in that box. Mm -hmm. That's all mortgage. The, the, the bank says that's our mortgage division. That means it's a qualified mortgage, QM. That means credit, income, assets, formula, you know, underwriting, appraisal, this box that I'm framing right here, it's the mortgage box. Mm -hmm. Anytime I ever hear someone say, I got this whacked out loan and I did this and I did that, and all of a sudden, like the credit, the income, and the assets are completely off, I'm like, oh, you got a commercial loan from a bank. Ready? Go over to the screen that Javica's in because it's not in the mortgage box. Mm. So anytime I hear something odd, 
I'm like, oh, you must have just gone to a local bank and talked to their commercial lending division. And they'll be like, well, I think I, I actually did. And I'm like, let me guess, the loan you have is like a five-year call. <laughs> yes. And they're like, oh, yeah, I have to redo it every five years. It amortizes over 20. You know, the rate's 4.99. It wasn't a very good rate, but it, it got us in this property, and we did it. Yay. Interesting. Yeah, it's a five-year call. Well, it's something you would buy an apartment complex on. Yeah, but that's that's how commercial lending works. I mean, they yeah, don't want exactly. to lend it to you for twenty years. Like Javitsa, you could be a dried-up. You know, you could be some guy that does free jumping five years later off of hotels in downtown Nashville, and you've got this four million dollar line of credit on on this twenty-unit building that you bought, and and your financials are horrid. You know, oh. five years later, they, they're like, listen, dude, you got to refinance this or sell that property and pay us back. Oh, I got to I got to go on a quick rant here. Because sure. this this drove me insane just because of the lack of knowledge people have. So you remember yeah. when Donald Trump's tax returns came out and by came out, I mean, they were leaked by somebody in The New York Times and everybody was freaking out about his tax returns. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember that. But I, I yeah, I'm with you. So a couple months back. So let's take Donald Trump, the individual and the politician out of this conversation. I want to use it as a teaching tool. The internet was freaking out over the fact that he had something like $350 million coming due in 24 months to Deutsche Bank. Okay, guys. Donald Trump, the individual, is a commercial real estate developer, essentially. He has mortgages on commercial properties. He does not owe $360 million to Deutsche Bank as a as a gambling debt deutsche bank refuses to put a 30-year note on a commercial property because of the interest rate risk they're not going to lock away four percent for 30 years on 360 million commercial yeah. properties have a call on them every five or ten years so you have to go redo the loans because yeah. no bank is willing to take on that risk because unlike a FHA loan on a $250,000 starter home, the government, one, isn't backing it, and two, it's a massive liability to the company. Yeah, so, and, and it's, it's funny. When you're mentioning Trump, I mean, let me say this. I think he played his hand so wrong after he became president. Like, he, he, he literally lost his marbles with his own infatuation with himself that oh he's real, very much so a narcissist yeah the the real trump who built that business you know he's he's a tremendous success uh i liked his show i even liked him at times if he had just changed his tune and just said listen guys i run a very sophisticated hotel and and, and commercial business i don't pay any taxes because i don't have to yes. my company does and and so, you know, consider me a guy that creates a lot of money into the economy that's for you, the small businessman, that, you know, I want you, the person who's a W-2 worker, to, to continue your job and get benefits. And, you know, you're, you're one of the worker bees of society. And I love the entrepreneurs because that's what I am. I, I'm going to try to create a situation where there's less tax for people that take high risk so they can put it back into our economy like me. And hey, there's benefits to that. Does anybody have any questions? Here's my tax return. I paid zero in, in personal income tax because my businesses shelter all of that. Now, my, company, my company's paid $4.8 billion in tax. The yeah. sales tax revenue that my company's created was $5 trillion 
you know, so don't don't look at me and think I'm not contributing to the tax basis in the United States. What's the next question? He should yeah, have people, done that. People don't think about it, you know, when they talk about the wealthy not paying taxes. It's like, okay, what tax? Just income mm. taxes. That I mean, that's not the only kind of tax. We're talking about their sales tax, their self-employment yeah. tax. I mean, Bill Gates doesn't declare income anymore. Yeah, it's... I mean, the the story of Trump is 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 going to be something that's going to be studied in political science classes for. Yeah. Well, who knows? I mean, you know, I try to steer around politics as much as possible because I just feel like it's a power play for the wealthy, and that like the the old phrase, all politics are local. You know, when there's a pothole out on Glen Echo Road, I just want it repaired by our local government. And, you know, like there's more up in the air right now about the Davidson County property tax than we would ever talk about, you know, health care, the federal income tax rate, you know, military spending, pro or against abortion. Like Davidson County, if you're if you're like, hey, Davidson County resident, what's your biggest issue right now with the government? They just raised my person, my my real estate tax. I hate that. You know, yeah. like. So it's it's only what's in front of you, and, and, and remember that little box up on your wall that you sit there and watch at night is a big advertisement. It's a money maker. So, you know, it, 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 if you sit there and watch CNN and Fox and you know politics really matter, if you turn that on, if you and I went to surf camp in Costa Rica, Yavitsa, for a week. We wouldn't be talking about the presidential election in the United States. We'd be hanging out, theorizing about you know how to how to meditate better and surf and eat healthy and exercise. It'd be like president, yeah, like Georgia Senate race, Democrats control Congress. Who gives a rat? Hey, yeah. how's that latte? <laughs> yeah, how's that volcanic ash latte? Yeah, but you'd be like, dude, it's pretty good, man. It's making my brain clear. I think I want to write another book. <laughs> it's making my brain clear. Yeah, man. <laughs> so, Let's so book, man. Let's let's race on the beach. Let's uh, <laughs> let's make my brain clear. It's comment on the comment of the week on a podcast. All right, back back to the topic at hand. Um, sorry, needed to go on that just brief session because I think that was a good teaching moment for people. Like, hey, understand that. Okay, you, you want to go by. I always tell folks who are interested in getting into rental properties, mm -hmm. go get a fourplex or under to start out with, if that's what you're really interested in, uh, because you have those residential mortgage options. You can go get an FHA loan. Now, again, yeah. I'm assuming I'm assuming here people who have decent credit, who've got strong income, who aren't you know upside yeah. down on their budget every month. Uh, there's, right. there's, there's, there's groundwork that needs to be set and there before we start going down anything else. Um, but give me some of your thoughts around that, you know, especially when it comes to planning people's finances, when it, when it comes to, you know, creating cash flow, when it comes to, you know, storing money inside real estate, you know, because we talked about this a little bit before we started recording is the financial industry in particular has a vested interest in selling you products that they get paid on. Which right. is fine. That's just how it works. You know, the reason you watch um, one of those news channels and every commercial is an Oppen Oppenheimer commercial or a Vanguard commercial, whatever, is because they make money off of you putting their money with them. What right. they don't make money off of is you going and buying a, a quadplex and cash flowing it. Yeah. Yeah. And putting 
30,000 of your savings into the down payment or, or 130,000, right? When it could go into um, a, a mutual fund of sorts and they could earn a fee on it. Well, you're not going to want to hear this. <laughs> this hey, is, I'm, out the, I'm out the industry. I don't care. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. This is the truth. And I, and I was I, talking people out of it when I was in the industry. I was telling them to go buy real estate. So this is the truth. The anytime, and, and so use me as forever your reference point and say, hey, I knew I know a guy that's been in the mortgage business for 25 plus years on the front lines as a mortgage originator. Every year he's sold. He's he's managed a group of people, but his primary income is meeting with people, talking credit income assets, give them advice about real estate, and then move on. And then if he helps them, stay in touch with them. If he can't help them that day, counsel them to be able to help them in the future. Uh, but the idea is it's a relationship business and he's giving advice over and over about people's situations. He told me that in 26 years in the mortgage business, he never saw someone on very rare exception who came in going, I want to build wealth and buy a quadplex and cash flow and make my money work for me through real estate. He's, he's never helped that person because number one, they were either a tremendous dreamer that read too many of those books right there and couldn't figure out how to execute their way out of a paper bag. Or number two, they couldn't find the quadplex that worked because quadplexes, let's be honest, are shitty properties in weird areas of town. I call them shit boxes. I don't like them. Now, I have certain friends and peers that own multifamily, they own quadplexes, they own a ton of them, and they've done really well. It's, it's, it's less than 10 people I know in a quarter of a century. Less than 10. I, I think they're difficult. I think they have repair issues. I think you've got to be in it. So the only people that I've ever met that actually have quadplexes have already gotten it before they met me. I've, I've helped two people acquire quadplexes, but they already had other rental properties. So it, this was like their first foray into a quadplex. Long story short, it's a niche, niche, niche thing. So to me, it's like trading options if you're an investor. Like the best way to trade options is to own the stock, right? And then options are a hedge against owning the stock to receive more income and to, to have some type of play. If you're only diving into options and you don't own the stock and the option expires worthless, then your entire investment is gone. Yeah. So can I can so, I clarify something just real quick? Sure. When when I made the comment about quadplexes or or duplex or whatever, I was just saying a general statement of you can get a residential loan on these properties if you want to get into real estate. Yeah. Which absolutely. is a lot a lot easier than going and getting a 150 unit apartment complex. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not the only people I know that that list of 10, a couple of them might have 20 to 25 unit buildings. Mm -hmm. You know, one's in Clarksville, one's, you know, in Nashville, some in Virginia. Back to like reeling it in, mm -hmm. you know, the typical rental property that I see that works the best is the person that says, hey, I live here. We've outgrown the house. We're about to have baby number two. We really love real estate. We don't really want to sell our house, but we know we need to move. Yep. That's a great one. That I call that never sell your first home 
Keep that sucker as a little rental property. It'll turn into your best 401k ever because you've already got it financed and you just have to figure out how to take the equity from it and go to the next one. And you have to talk to a mortgage person like me who's smart enough to help you figure it out versus push button, get loan, call, call, you know, desk on 1-800 number and they, they don't know what to, they're just like, oh yeah, sell that. We, we don't know how to finance both or we don't know how to tell you how to do that. Um, so yeah, rent, and that's just so you know, that's how I started. In rental started, properties? So, yeah. Okay. So I have uh, 21 units that um, we manage. Um, 21, not building. It's 21 total properties. Uh, 15 are actively rented right now and I'm building a mixed-use building where I'll be the tenant on the ground floor and I'll have six units up above. I say I have 21 because I have the loan and it's yeah. actively being built. In 12 months time, I'll be managing with cash flow 21 properties, but for right now it's 15. Um, so yeah, I have some pretty good experience in the rental property business, the management part of it. My personal assistant and I manage them. Um, and you know, it's it, being a property manager and collecting rent is a service business. Picking the right tenant is very similar back to my member credit income assets. When you're finding a tenant, if you can pull their credit, you understand what their income is and do they have a deposit, you know, those would be good things to understand before you put them in your property. Uh, and know this, if I took my shirt off, Yavitsa, and showed you my rental property landlord scars on my back, I've learned how to not do it over 20 years. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I My first rental was in 2001, and it was the first property I bought here that I lived in for two years, and then I kept it. And I moved to another house. Yeah, I've... So, I've I've got a, I'll give you an example. I won't mention names, but I've got a friend, um, a couple. They, I was talking to the husband not too long ago. They have a house that they bought years ago in another city. They kept mm -hmm. that when they moved to Nashville. Yeah. Then they bought their house in Nashville. And then they recently bought their next home. And they've kept each of the homes from both the previous city and Nashville. And their cash flowing net of everything, I think he said $1,700 a month. Yeah. And I was sitting here like, dude, do you realize how hard people work for $1,700 every single month? Like, yeah, yeah you got to hold in, you got to hold in reserves. You got to save because of different things. But like, yeah. you're crushing it. Imagine you do that a couple of more times. Right. What happens? Well, here's the interesting part. When we were doing a video about a month ago, uh, my social media guy who kind of does some recordings for me, he said, man, like, tell me about the mindset of people that own rental property. And I, cause I just heard you say, you know, 1700, I agree with you. It's hard to make 1700 bucks a month and he's doing it cash flow on, on properties that he's retained. What the only thing I'll add, he's not crushing it. He's no. just doing what people that own rental properties do, which is create positive cash flow, right? I do not think, and I have not met the person back to like, quarter of a century, I have not met the person that where their rental properties free them 
to live some lifestyle in Costa Rica. Now, there are some that are choosing to try to figure that out, but what I've normally seen is they have a day job that they like, they get this passion of real estate, and they have a passion for you know 401k and investing, and they're kind of mixing it all together, and this real estate box of keeping it going, keeping a tenant to pay the mortgage down, hopefully the property goes up in value, you know, this spread on, hey, that house that, you know, you're out of town couple. Hey, we lived in Cleveland, we bought it for 200, we owed 190, we moved here. Seven years later, hey, that place in Cleveland's worth 250 and that 190 mortgage is down to 170. And oh, by the way, we just signed a two-year lease, you know, and the mortgage is only 900 bucks and we're taking 1300 a month in. Time game. Time yeah. game. Inflation's your inflation's your friend when you have real Time estate. Time game. No get rich quick. Yeah. So I just think that, you know, kind of in in summary to that, can you be a dreamer? Am I the, you know, is my advice to am I like glass ceiling guy that you can't do that? I'll guarantee you there's some people that have just completely figured it out on their own, gotten so lucky and like walked into all these deals and now have this amazing cash flow. I just haven't seen them. Like I've never helped them. And to me, real estate is like weightlifting. You do not go in to the weight room and get under a bench and say, hey, slap on 285. You can't fake it. You can't fake a squat with weight. You either have the strength or you don't. And if you don't, you're going to get hurt. If you don't, you lower the weight until you can do the exercise and go, oh, this really hurts. I can't believe those guys lift 400 pounds. I'm starting with 75 and this is really hard. Good. Lift it. Let's get there. Let's do one. So that's to me, rental property is about someone who can go in with a mindset of this is going to be an exercise in, in you know, it's going to help me, but to be able to do it, I've got to do it. This is not a, oh, I hire somebody and get rich. Now, here's something I would add to that thought process, though. So you mentioned yeah. the guy in Costa Rica just doing what, living whatever life, whatever it may be. And I'll agree with you. I don't, I haven't met anyone personally in the single family space that's achieved that lifestyle. Yeah. In the massive multifamily space, that's a different conversation. Absolutely. You own 1,500 doors, it's a very different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's guys that, that, that absolutely, when I mentioned the 10, I've got a guy that owns hotels and some guys that own big multifamily and they're just successful. I mean, they touch money and they turn it into more money, you know? Yeah. That's it's their mindset more so than it is this avenue that hey getting multifamilies is the way to get rich. Correct. It's just the 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 path. There, they, if they had sold, I don't know, ladders, they would have been successful. But but here here's what I do want to say about the single family and the duplex and the triplex if you can find them, etc. Yeah. You don't have to go live in Costa Rica. No. But what you you know what you can do. Let's say, let's use my couple friends. They, they turned out 1,800 in a couple years in the 3,600. Yeah. And then into 5,000. Mm -hmm. And the next thing you know, they're not even 40, but their entire monthly base expenses are covered before they go work a single day that month. Yeah. What freedom does that buy them in their work? 
What stress does that lift off of them that allows for them to be creative, that allows for them to really put energy into things that they love from a work standpoint, that allows for them to actually do a better job in the day job that they have? You know, that that's what I've seen, the power of creating cash flow through, in this example, we're using real estate, but there's other ways to do it. But yes, real estate in this world, um, I think that's the advantage there. Not about, hey, let me go live off the coast of freaking, you know, Montenegro somewhere or, or something. I, I, one, I would probably hate that life constantly being in like some island paradise that sounds great for about three weeks and then it sounds terrible because right. I would want to go do things. But again, having that freedom of not having to worry about I have to work this month to pay my bills, you know, and that's yeah. actually how you start building wealth once because once everything, once you've already won before you start, then everything you're bringing in can be repositioned into other things that, that are going to help you win. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Did that totally. rant make sense? I don't know. I mean, what what other things do you wish people knew about this world that they don't like? What are we not covering? I mean, I know we talked a little bit about how you help people plan through their finances and things like that. I don't know if there's anything there that you really wanted to dive into. Um, no, I think you know, honestly, I think we've covered a lot. I, I think that the, the biggest thing to me is just when you are when you're trying to do something financial in your life or something big in your life like you're, you're, you're shifting your health focus, you're shifting your, your, your financial focus. Um, you got to go and form a team mm. and find advisors that know what they're doing. And, you know, when you're looking into things, you know, the internet's a dangerous place because everybody's a five star. Yep. Hell, Zillow's a five star. You know, Amera save, uh, Amera investments. Like, what's an online investment firm? Uh, Schwab is a five star. They're amazing. Ring, ring. Hi, this, is, this is Phil. I'm in a cubicle. I, I just started it at Schwab. Oh, Yabita? Oh, yeah. Yes, I have my Series Six. Oh, I can't wait to help you from this cubicle in Cleveland. I care about you. They pay me forty thousand base salary and a five five cents for every you know. Really? That's where you're going to get your advice because you went on TV and saw Schwab and called the 1-800 number. So to me, you know, you got to go local. You got to go, you got to check references and then go meet the people. Sit down and do the one hour interview. Have the, have the true exchange of what value do you bring to me? And you'll know, like if it's an engaging meeting where you're interested and then you're inspired to do whatever it is, that's your service provider. Do they care about you? Is what they're saying interesting? And does it inspire you? That's it. You'll know in a face-to-face -face in 30 minutes to an hour. And Yavitsa, when you got that mortgage, they weren't interesting. They definitely didn't inspire you. They, they just cared about their commission and you got your mortgage and you got through it. Yep. There was no relationship. Mm -mm. So I'd say if, it, if it's a big circle in your life, you better go and get face to face. Yeah. Now, does that mean you can't work with someone long distance? Hey, face to face could be something like this, right? Yeah. yeah. We're not face to face, but this is pretty interactive. I'm seeing you move. You're seeing me move. I'll, I'll say this to anybody who's watching as an entrepreneur. Um, do you see, Yavitsa, I'm not going to call you out. Do you see the difference between me and Yavitsa right now? 
if you're watching? The answer is probably. Why? Just look at this screen. This is a backdrop for me. I've got lighting up above, backlighting. I've got a digital mic and a digital camera. I can pull up a screen here if I want to go black screen or white screen. And this is just a, you're just seeing kind of an image of what I want to portray on a Zoom call. Now I've got some family photos. I was going to put them up there. That's my dad. That's my diploma. That's Laird Hamilton surfing a 90 foot wave. That's Seabiscuit. There's Roger Federer winning the Australian Open in that five setter. So it's just a little story I'm telling you subliminally if you and I were meeting virtually in a COVID world. So you want to up your game, change how you look, change your presentation. And if you're going to meet with people long distance and sell whatever service you're selling, you better start thinking, well, they're making up their mind the minute the camera goes on. The minute the camera goes on. So if I was selling a mortgage right now to a couple relocating, we keep using Cleveland, I'd be interacting and then I'd click over to share screen back to me, see what their body language says versus just the standard old phone call. Oh, hey, Javita. Are you? You know, it's like a phone. You could do this. So that would probably be a big you know, advice to anybody who's an entrepreneur who's watching this saying, how do I make a difference in my initial upfront meeting? Start to change the way you think about how people look at you. Because this is just a prop. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'm just on the phone. Or I'm like Yavitsa, I'm in my home office with a laptop with poor lighting. Like Yavitsa, you could invest in some better lighting and people see your face more. Make sense? Makes sense. I would make the argument that my, uh, my lighting situation, considering it's a podcast, is not... Like for me, this mic probably costs more than your camera, your setup, everything combined. You see what I'm saying? Right, right, right. I think this though, for influence, I started watching Joe Rogan when he was filming it more than I was listening to his podcast. I would go on YouTube and watch his interviews. Yeah. So I'm more visual. So granted, your voice, hey, kudos to you. Number one, you're doing this and you're getting stuff out there. Number two, you've got an amazing voice and you've got an amazing mic. I can hear it. Now, pop in a little bit of lighting and then this, this could be packaged out there in the marketplace, us, you and I on a YouTube to where, you know, people can see you because you're a good looking dude. You got a great voice. I think there's a lot of people that aren't audio learners. They're visual Thanks learners. Thanks for calling me pretty. Yeah, you're very good looking. <laughs> very, very, see, look at, I can't even see your smile because you're crappy lighting. Oh man, you want me to go, you want me to go spend 300, like I will go spend $300 on a damn lamp now. One of those circle things. This is just a, there's a couple little tricks. You're like, I'm editing all that out. This is just too much advice. No, I keep stuff in there. Uh, yeah. It's it's uh, it's good for people. I don't remember where we were going with this, but. Well, you just, I think we were finishing. We were finishing. You were saying, hey, is there any other thing that you need to know? And And it was really just find a professional in whatever area you're looking to grow. And if you're an entrepreneur or someone on this call who's in the sales world, work on your presentation. You know, work on your presentation to your clients. I'll, I'll ask one more quick question related to yeah. the topic before I ask how people can get a hold of you. What's one thing you wish you would have known about managing properties when you bought your when you got your first rental after you left in two thousand one out of the house you were living in? 
When your gut says no, listen to your gut on a tenant. Okay. Because if it's empty for 30 days and you're gulping on that mortgage and this guy calls and you're like, he'll pay you and he loves the place, but like the credit sucks, the income's shady, but he's got money, that'll come back to bite you in the ass. And, mm. and second thing, the second that there's an excuse about not paying rent, have an attorney send a letter. Mm, to that says yourself. GTFO <laughs> or else. I was way too nice of a guy the first five years with tenants that started to slide. Because mm. no one hears nice when it's time to pay. They think, oh, well, we had that conversation and you knew that I saw an ant in your property and that means that I don't have to pay rent for September. No, no. So, yeah. Weird credit and income are going to come back to bite you in the butt and get a lawyer the minute they start holding you hostage to the rent check. Also, know this, Yavitsa. When I learned all that, there was no electronic pay. There was oh, no gosh. like. There was no like here. Venmo me the money. So I had I had situations where I was like hunting these people down to get their check that would then bounce. You know. Yeah, that sounds terrible. I'm glad we live in 2021. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little different time now. Um, awesome. Okay, how can people get a hold of Brendan? Uh, type in my name on the internet, and uh, it, it, it'll it'll come to me. Actually, let's do <laughs> um, that. Let's, no, let's they, do that real quick. Let's see who comes up. Yeah, type in Brendan Donaldson Mortgage. I think maybe I should the work first, on that. Uh, I, I haven't I typed that say, in. Brendan Donaldson. Okay, the first thing that does come up is Atlantic Union Bank, which is where you Yeah. work. So, yeah, the first couple the first couple posts are your main website, Facebook, and then your LinkedIn, and then your Instagram. Okay. I don't know. It it might be biased on my end though cuz I know I've googled you before. So, yeah. I might be um, Yeah, I think we've got enough out there where if someone knows my full name that it does pop up or you can just my name brendan.donaldson at atlanticunionbank.com um as my email and then uh yeah i think i've got my phone numbers on linkedin you can find me there awesome well for everybody if you got mortgage questions you want to connect with somebody brendan obviously gave you the best way to get in front of him right now um for us manhoodpod.com as always info at manhoodpod.com if you got questions you want to get you know suggest something for the show constructive criticism only don't just complain offer a solution and outside of that we'll talk to you guys soon